Welcome to another episode of Diversity Dish. Today's episode is sponsored by VIP Discovery Dates with Sadie. That's me. VIP Discovery Dates are a full day immersion into discovering what your untapped strengths are, how to use them in your business, how to use them in your anti-racist work so your efforts are more magnified, and mapping out how you're going to get to the big, brilliant goal you'll set while on our date. The brief information with a link to sign up is in the show notes. There are only five spots available, so make sure to hurry. Your brilliance will always make a difference. Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone, sometimes I'm dining with friends, and sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Daryl L. Mobley is founder of Catapult Leaders, a talent search placement firm that matches outstanding Black college graduates with top companies. He's passionate about solving the long-standing problem of companies under-recruiting Black managers by leveraging Catapult Leaders to directly connect top Black college graduates from 600-plus universities with great jobs in corporate America. There is no cost to students for these services. Darrell graduated from West Point, the United States Military Academy, was a college athlete, and has parachuted hundreds of times, run with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain, partied at Carnival in Rio de Janeiro, dived for pearls in Tahiti, competed, carrying his wife, in the World Wife Carrying Championships in Finland, backpacked Asia, wrestled alligators, and hosted a family-focused TV show. As a kid, he was a snake wrangler, horse whisperer, and picked fruit with migrant workers. As a husband and father, his focus is to be his wife's biggest advocate and an active presence in his children's lives. Daryl's philosophy? Enjoy life here, now. Hello, Daryl. It is so good to have you on Diversity Dish today. Well, hello, Sadie. How are you doing? I am doing well. I am doing well. So we are just meeting and I'm so excited to have people learn about you. You have such a varied background. And as we're talking in the green room, you are a serial entrepreneur. And I love that because in, in a little bit of ways, I consider myself the same. I follow the passion. So to start, I would like for you to tell me what are you passionate about right now? I'm passionate most about my uh, wife and my kids, what they do, how they do it, and that I'm always there. I, one of my goals, of course, is to always, always, always be my wife's biggest advocate. I want to be strategic in my future, the life of my kids. So I want to always make sure I'm there. One of the things that I don't want any of them to ever say is that dad was not there. So that's really my personal passion and one that animates virtually everything. I, people who know me will say that kind of animates everything that he does. 
professionally now, what I'm really passionate about beyond my coaching business is I'm passionate about making sure that Black college students get great jobs in corporate America, because I think that's one way to address some of the inequities that have occurred in the country. I think it's an easy, relatively straightforward way to do it, heavy lifting, but that's really what I'm passionate about right now professionally. I love it. And you're so right when you say that that is one of the areas that we really need to be looking at because I'm currently reading Diversity Inc. Mm -hmm. And she talks about that. She talks about the disparities in the population versus Mm -hmm. the the percentage of the population versus Mm -hmm. the percentage of those people that are represented in business. So it feels very parallel to what you're saying, very Mm -hmm. in line. So before we actually get into all of that, I want to know what is your superpower as you see it? And do you think that it's related to your passion? You know, I think that before I tell you what it is, my superpower is definitely related to my passion. In fact, it is the fuel for the passion. My superpower is that I believe that's, that's what it is. I think that one of the things I teach uh, my kids, all my kids will tell you from the time they were old enough to, to think and know, I would tell them the first Mobley rule. And the first Mobley rule is believe in yourself. I said, because without that, nothing else matters. If you don't believe in yourself, you'll act out. If you don't believe in yourself, you'll self-sabotage. If you don't believe in yourself, you won't keep going when it gets tough because it will get tough. So I think my superpower is that I believe in myself. And I believe in those, and I try to show that I believe in in, in those around me. I love it. I do. I love it. That is new to me. I have not heard it that way before, but I love that. It is tied to your passion because you do say that your passion is your family Mm -hmm. and, and what you do. And I can see how that would correlate. That's fantastic. So you did mention a little bit that your interest is in helping Black college graduates Mm -hmm. connect with high impact jobs, high paying jobs. And you do that through your company called Catapult Leaders, correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay. So let's start with where do you cultivate these students? Because the number one thing that I hear a lot is we just can't find the talent. That's why we just don't have (laughs) diversity, right? Right. So why don't you tell people where they can actually, besides with you, but where do you find your talent? So I first need to address that comment you said that is made, because it is true that we can't find this talent. There are only four reasons, and I've said this to CEOs I've spoken to, there are only four reasons why the company X, whatever they are, major company X, has not significantly addressed its need for diversity. Number one can be incompetence. The people who are working are simply incompetent. Number two, nobody ever wants to consider that, but that's a possibility. I mean, under the world of possibilities. Number two, there is unconscious bias. Like we just don't know, we're doing things and our bias is so complete that we don't even see what we're doing. That certainly is a possibility as well. Number three is conscious bias. I mean, you know, that we have to, under the world of possible reasons, that's a possible reason. And number four, and I tell, I look, look CEOs right in their eyes, we say, when I say this, you just don't care. Because if you don't care, no one cares. So I want to first say those are the reasons that I see as why. Now, having said that, it exists. So I became annoyed 
that after all this time, after all these years, when these 30 something years of corporate America has been talking about doing this, they haven't fixed the problem because if they wanted to put a can of soup on Mars in a month, they could do it, right? So I said, okay, all right, I'm gonna fix the problem. You say you can't find them, we'll find them. What happens is students from colleges, all 50 states around the, and recent graduates, by the way, so students from colleges, and recent graduates from all 50 states around the US, they apply with Catapult Leaders. You go to catapultleaders.com, it says apply, you click on it, you put your information in with us. Once you go into our, our portal, if you will, what happens then is we start giving you information and preparing you for potential job opportunities. Now, what has happened on the side is that companies have already come to us and said, hey, uh, Daryl and your crew, we've got this job, this job, this job, this job, and this. I mean, some companies, there are, I'm not going to name them. We have clients that transition through about five to 6,000 people a year. I mean, so they're constantly hiring, right? So you think about it, they say, wow, there's a lot of people getting hired. Somehow they've missed us all these years, but that's okay. They're out there, <laughs> right? So, so what we do with those companies is we get very granular on exactly what they're looking for. We know the position, we know everything about that position, and we know about the personality they want. We know about the behavioral characteristics they want. We know all the degrees and all that. We got all that stuff. We have that, that's over here. Separately, these students are making their way through our system and the system is, we have a series of modules they go through and we're preparing them and, we're, and there's engagement with folks who are part of our advisory board are talking weekly. We're conversing with these students, telling the information. The people on my advisory board have all succeeded in corporate America. So they know the journey, they understand how to do it. So what we do is all along while we're preparing these students for these opportunities that we have, that the companies have come to us, then what we do, is we have a proprietary process that we use to match students with the opportunities. And that's the key. So then what happens is at some point, the students are coming through, we've got thousands of students in our portal, they come through and we're matching them with these jobs. And we say, boom, there's a match, 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 match. A student might match with six different jobs at six different companies, that's fine. We then turn to the companies that have come to us and say, we now have people who are a match with what you say you wanted. And because we were so granular on our information, what happens is we eliminate the big bugaboo that gets black people not hired in these jobs. It is this, not a fit. Well, we eliminate that because we've matched with what the companies have told us. With the students, we step forward and we tell them, here's how they match with what you say you want. Now interview them. So what happens is that leads to a, a high percentage of hit rates, i.e. offers for jobs because we've eliminated the kind of the bias that happens that never gets us to the point where we match with an interviewer. And that's what we do. I love it. I do. That is amazing because of that. We don't know where to find them. We don't know how to do mm -hmm. it. You've kind of said, okay, you don't know. We know. Let me, mm -hmm. let me help you with that. Well, technology, um, what we can do today is because of technology, we can now bring these students to the companies before if you lived in somewhere in Utah and you were black, you're not gonna be interviewing with any company in, in Atlanta. It's not gonna happen. You're not gonna, you don't have the money to get there. Now we can bring them to them via virtual things. And then at that point, the companies take over and they pay for all the costs after that. So, so that, I apologize, but that's, that's one of the things we do in bringing the talent now to companies, as opposed to expecting companies to go to talent. I, one thing, I, when I was in corporate America and I was in charge of interviewing for my area as I kind of moved up in the company, there are only so many places I can go. I mean, I can't go to every college. I can't go to every state. So, you know what we tend to do? We go to our favorites. 
Why? Because yep. we have a very high hit rate. We know if we go to this this uh, college because we're we like this college, well, we know we're going to get a high hit rate there. We don't go to the thousands of other places out there because it's inefficient for us. So part of the reason we can't find them is that we're not going to places to find them. And that's that's what we have eliminated. Right. When you talk about matching the students with these companies, mm-hmm. what you're talking about is essentially removing some of that bias that's there. Because if the companies are coming to you, then they're already saying that they want you to help them find the talent that they are maybe too lazy to go out and find. Or, you know, maybe honestly, they just don't actually know where to go. And so you're saying, okay, you know what, we're going to take care of that part for you. We're going to remove the bias component. Question I have, what is your percentage rate of success? with placing your candidates into these companies? So let me take it on a, on a single candidate situation for every six interviews. And on average, a candidate might get six interviews with six different companies in the process. They are offered by five out of the six companies. So very high percentage rate because by the time, it's like everything else. It's like uh, matchmaking. By the time we put them together, Remember now, remember, we've already determined the company has given us, the first that you're right, they come to us because they say, listen, we have a challenge. You can help us fix that challenge. We come to you. We want these people. You know, this number of people, okay, great. They come to us. The deal is by the time they meet, the match is, it's amazing, right? Because they say they want a person like this, 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 and this. We bring them a person who's like this, 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 and this. And by the way, we don't leave it to chance. We actually show them if we have graphic representation because of the process we have a lot of behavioral assessments we do during our with the students we show them tell them here's what you say was important to you here's where this student matches with it here is our personal assessment of that student uh, and we provide that with each student that we put so by the time they're together you know it's a very high hit rate i believe that most of the reason that there's not even a sixth offer out of six is because we'll often, I mean, a company will often be interviewing three people for four positions. So mm-hmm. they, you know, they can't offer everybody. So it comes, so, I, I, but I'm okay with that because if that student has gone through our process, if they put in the effort and the time in our modules, they're going to be so hireable that they're going to get a great job. And, and I think that, you know, we talked before about corporate America. One of my things, but no one pays like corporate America, no one. Okay, you know, and the benefits like corporate, the big corporations. So when when I'm thinking about how do we affect change in America and make things more equitable, if we don't address the income disparity or the opportunity for income that's out there, then we're never going to fix that problem because many of our problems are money involved, in my opinion. Okay, and so by doing this, by getting more talented black college graduates in these great jobs. The problem with the pipeline will be handled eventually and quickly. More importantly, we're changing generations. I know every time a student of ours takes a great job, we could be affecting generations because he or she is going to have more resources to do things with their family uh, than they would. I look at my own journey and I look at corporate America and realize that, wow, that was an incredible journey. The things that I'm able to, that I was able to provide my kids would have been very difficult to find if I'd taken a different type of job and a different type of place. Yes. Let's stick with this 
this theme for just a moment, the income disparity and the generational wealth in this country mm-hmm. and the cost to this country because of the generational wealth gap that exists. In your opinion, how does this affect directly? Because I know that you just talked about how you'd be able to spend more, but how does this affect, let's say, white people directly? Because when we're talking about that there's a problem Mm -hmm. with income and generational wealth, and when Mm -hmm. everybody in this country is not taking from that pie, it Mm -hmm. affects everybody in this country. It's Mm -hmm. not just affecting the Black population. Can you speak to how it affects the companies and the other part of this country, the white part of this country that believe that this has nothing to do with them? I I will give you, I will talk about it and I will give you examples that no one will be able to refute because it's in our faces every day. So the truth is that when everyone has an opportunity to take a bite of the pie, of the, the more income part, the opportunity based on talent, everyone wins, we all win, the, the, the entire world gets better, the environment gets better, the economy gets better. A lot of the problems, there's two types of problems, there's problems above the line and below the line. We see these up here, it's like the, the glacier. We see things up here, we see crime, we see issues, we see poverty, we see it. What we don't see is the massiveness beneath there. Here's the deal, the truth is every organization every industry that has invited openly with open arms black people into the mix has improved every single one so for example i like using this example because it's it's uh, it's so obvious can you imagine what the nba would be like without black players <laughs> i mean i mean it, i'm sure it'd be a nice league but i think we all can agree that a it's it's a better league with, with all the mixture, but more importantly, it has become more successful as a league, financially successful. The appeal to the audience is higher. It's become a global behemoth. Why? Because they've invited in all the talent, put it all together and said, figure it out yourselves, guys. And that has led to the same thing. And, you know, you can pick sport, look at entertainment. Take, imagine taking away everyone who's black and said, yeah, yeah, no, you guys aren't good enough for entertainment. We're just going to keep it away <laughs> the way it used to be, right? We're going to, these people over here, they're really talented. You guys are not, we'll just, just stay over there. We're going to do it with just these people. It would be the most boring, non-engaging thing going. My point to you is this. This actually plays itself out across corporate America. Those organizations that engage and bring in Black people are more successful. They are, why, why is it? So because whenever you bring in diverse thinking, that whole sort of thing, when, and it's allowed to flower, to flourish, to engage, to provide its input, whenever that happens, the decision-making is better because the process is more rigorous to get to a decision. And the better the decisions, the more successful the organization can be. So it works for all, all everything gets better when we open our arms to everyone and say, bring what you got, bring your best, Bring it in here and let's go. When you do that, it's all better. By the way, I think that on a relative basis, you know, let's all be honest. I don't know that there's another country that does better than America at what I'm saying. Having said that, okay, we want to make our America better. But I also believe if we flipped it and looked at it, look at those countries that overtly uh, exclude elements of their population, women, the minorities, that sort of thing. Those are like the worst places to live. 
I mean, they're like the worst place. Nobody really wants to live in those places. Why? Because you're not inviting everybody to the party and you're not allowing everybody to party to do their thing. We do, again, I think more than any other country, we're going to get better at it. But the truth is that those places where they don't do it are a petri dish. They're, they're example of what you don't want. And I don't want any of it. I want I want more competition, not less. I, one thing we tell our, our clients, companies, is that you want to make sure as a client company that you're attracting the best of the best, not the best of whoever you're looking at. Because that's what's been happening. You know, when you isolate down and just yes. do this, you don't know who's out there. I, I, I jokingly, I, I tell corp, uh, CEOs, I said, you should be more like college football coaches. They go around the country to find talent. They don't care where it's from, small school, big school, little bitty, little bitty city over here, big city over here, northwest, southwest, southeast, urban, rural. They go everywhere because why? They're in the business of winning. And they know we're going to win if we bring in talent that's all over the place. So I, I think that the examples are, are plentiful. And the benefits to all of us are that we all do better. All of us, all, every, every gender, every ethnic, we all do better. Yes, we do. I like that analogy or I like that correlation of the scouts that go out to look for talent. They don't look for a particular look. They look for the best talent and the best talent can show up in any kind of package packaging. Right. right? But you want the best of the best, not the best of who you're looking at. That's That's I love that. That's fantastic Mm -hmm. because it's so true on a day to day basis, like on a grassroots level. Mm -hmm. How would you explain to I mean, I understand everything that you're saying and I understand, Mm -hmm. you know, the big picture and the, the company businesses and all that stuff. But what about Mary Margaret? on Main Street, who has a smaller business, a small Mm -hmm. business in a small little town Mm -hmm. um, where the percentage of diversity may not be that high. So she Mm -hmm. just doesn't feel that this is her problem. Mm -hmm. How does all of this affect her? Because it does in some ways, but how, how, in your opinion, does it affect her? I think that it's difficult to imagine that you're going to maximize audience or maximize customer base, the number of who become your customers, if you are exclusive of those who are in those audiences or, or that customer base. And that applies to all of us, you know, whoever we are. Now, I think there's a, there's a benefit to focus. You know, you can focus on things. And, you know, for example, let me give you an example. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, I joke about this particular business all the time with my wife, you know, but you still tend to have beauty salons. Some are white, some are black. Now, okay. Now, if I have a beauty salon, if I, if I own an area and I've got a lot of hair people, you know, if I, if I own a salon and I and I want to maximize my audience, then I'm going to be inclusive of people who can do different types of hair, yeah. because at the end of the day, you know, the customer is going to say, "Oh, wait a minute, this person could do my hair. Let me go there." You and I know that the black women are always at best suspicious about white people doing their hair. One hundred percent. At best, okay, okay, and so and so as a salon, I'm not maximizing my revenue. If That's I'm right. interested in maximizing my revenue, I need to say what do customers need. Okay, good, let's do that. And and I think so. For me, it happens or it applies to small businesses and large businesses. Now, the truth is that not everyone's not going to be a leader. I understand that. Okay, mm. that, that's that's life in the big city, and to expect 
you know, having gone to West Point, we developed leadership. I realized that not everybody is going to bring the same level of change the worldness to what they do. But I do think that those that do will benefit. I mean, right now, there's much of this country that is not as inclusive as it could be. They talk a good game. Uh, you know, they grab the rosary beads and they clutch them and, 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 you know, saying about how they're committed to things. But I'm big when I just talk about raw numbers. To me, show me your numbers. Everything else is, is, is flapping your gums, right? And so I don't care who you are at whatever level you are. If you can attract more revenue, then do it. Yeah, because that's what a business is for. That's the purpose of it. And they're not out there trying to feel good about life. Their goal is, hey, we got to attract revenue. We got we to gotta deal with customers. And I want as many customers as possible. And I think those who have that focus uh, can find their way to being inclusive a lot faster than those who don't have that focus. Absolutely. I love I love that you use the beauty salon because I, I have been thinking about that this week. Uh, I do work with small businesses and I'm, and I'm constantly trying to think about how to translate the message from large corporate corporations to your small businesses. Mm -hmm. Why does it matter mm -hmm. if your small business appeals to a larger audience? Mm -hmm. And hair salons was the first thing that I thought of. Mm -hmm. I said, I am not going to go get my hair done by a white woman. I'm just right. not right. because not only is she not taught about what my hair needs are, right. if she does not understand What's going to happen when she does what is done for right. everybody right. to my hair? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I'm not going to go to a white woman, but I will go to a salon that has a black woman on staff yes. who will know about yes. my hair. Yes. Right. So if you're in a, 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 an area that's diverse and you have all white people doing hair or doing mm -hmm. skin or doing whatever, or doing mm -hmm. all the things mm -hmm. in your salon, you are sending the message that you yeah. are not inclusive. You That's don't right. care about the rest of the, the community. That's you right. only care about this part of the community. Right. But if you want to increase your revenue, hire someone that mm -hmm. can actually appeal to different parts of the community so mm -hmm. that you can increase your revenue and make it better for everybody because it's, it's, it just seems so. Well, 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 well it is. And remember there's, remember I said this unconscious bias, it's conscious bias, so all these things, ignorance, but, but remember this too, when you bring, let's go to, let's use the salon example. When you bring in a man or woman who does hair, who is black, here's what you pretty much know you're going to get. They can play all sides of the street. They can do black mm -hmm. hair, they can do white hair, they can do Hispanic hair. In other words, if I'm bringing in talent, I want somebody who can maximize revenue on that chair, right? Mm -hmm. They can feel like that chair can be full. Go, 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 go. So how do I do that? I can't, if I bring in somebody who only does X, that's all they do. They're not the best athlete in the chair, if you will. They're not. They're not the. They're not the best. They're not the best applicant I can have. There's, some people are good. You specialize. That's great. I got that. But the fact is, I'm not really trying to be the best. Or the most, if, if inclusiveness sometimes is a, is a fungible word, I'm not trying to be the best I can be by doing that. I'm going to give another example of an audience that's not, that has been addressed. So for years, like I love breakfast, love breakfast. I can eat breakfast 24 oh. seven. <laughs> and for years, I complain about this company not serving breakfast all the time, McDonald's. Right. If we want to know how much money you can make, and by the way, so sometimes we think in terms of ethnicity, no, just think in terms of audience. Okay, there's an audience out yes. there that wants breakfast. 
McDonald's, I, for years I was saying they should have breakfast all the time. They should have breakfast. People are like, yeah, no, no. They should have breakfast. They finally switched breakfast all the time. There's a reason why. They yes. have more customers who want it all the time. Same thing when they brought in coffees. They used, you and I both know, they used to have black coffee. That was it. Mm. Now, now they basically are trying to tear Starbucks a new one because they offer all these <laughs> things. Why? Because there's a customer base that says, hey, I don't come to you unless you have this. So because you have this, I come to you. And finally, an example that I, I remember when this happened, I think, and I actually know the numbers for this. I remember when they first introduced drive-thrus. That was like breakthrough. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when there were no drive-thrus. That was like break, what drive through It was fantastic. You could get it on the way. I mean, it was, oh my, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and so when I heard one time that their sales increased by 30% just by opening up that line, just open line. My point is this, that being focused on the customer is where all businesses should be. If you're 100% focused on customer and increasing your customer ranks, your basic, then all this will take care of itself, I believe, or much of it. Much of it will do, it'll happen because now you're focused on how do I increase revenue? How do I increase customer count? How do, okay, how do I do that? Well, I have to deal with what the customer wants. What does the customer want? They want this in a salon. Depending on the market, there's 20, 30, 40, or more percent of women out there who are black, or are maybe uh, uh, you know, from, from, from outside the U.S. in their various places who don't feel comfortable coming to me get their hair done. Okay, how do I do that? I need some, and think of it, it's a simple process. The math is simply, so, oh, okay, so what, what do I need to give them? Somebody who can do their hair. Hmm, okay, how do I find that? You probably run an ad, somebody shows up, you check them out, you put them in, and suddenly now you've increased just like uh, McDonald's increased with the drive-through, they increased with the coffee, they increased with the breakfast. Now you're giving a new customer a reason. What McDonald's wants to do is they want to have people through what they've done over the past two decades. They want to have customers over the lifetime of the customer. So if you're a mom with a baby, they got the, uh, the Happy Meals, right? As you get older, you're going up, you're a teenage girl, they got the coffee for you. You got the, you got the fries, you got the, you got the chicken, you got the, my point is, they are doing what we're talking, they're giving the full, and then I got the salads. Okay, you people who want to have a better, okay, we'll give you some salads. They are just saying, hey, I'm all about the customer. What does the customer want? And if you deal with, and I know for our clients, for example, our comp client companies, they want talent. And our whole push to them is, we're not doing this so you can be nice people. We're not doing this, so, which you might be. We're not doing this, client, uh, Catapult Leaders doesn't do what we do because it's a, be a more inclusive world, although that's nice. We do it because our companies want talent. They want the best talent. The teams with the best talent tend to win. And that's kind of our play. That's what we put out there. And talent leads to good things for everyone. Talent leads to good things for everyone. Absolutely. The focus on the customer. Mm -hmm. That is so important because I don't think that a lot of people do that. Or rather, there's a lot of you know information out there that says, you know, you've got to narrow your customer mm -hmm. down to the very last bit. Sure. And then there's another train of thought that says what you need to do is think about the customer's needs. What customer's needs are you trying to fill? Right, right. So if you are a hair salon, if you're trying to fill a customer's need to get their hair done, 
How do you do, how do you maximize that all across? You're doing women's hair. If you're a barbershop, you're doing men's hair. How do you maximize that all across? Well, you make sure that there are people there to service whoever comes through that door. That's right. Um, It does seem very straightforward and very Mm -hmm. simple. There's another thing that I would like your insight on because you seem to have quite a bit of insight here and I'm loving it. (laughs) It is this. So I've been reading The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it is about housing. Yes. And it is about neighborhoods and white flight Mm -hmm. and ghetto, if you will. Mm -hmm. And all of these things were pre-ordered. Right. right. These p- things were put into place, right. but it seems so long ago, although it wasn't all that long ago, but it right. seems so long ago That's that right. people now feel that they have the audacity or they have the ability to say, well, why don't they just mm-hmm. leave? Why don't they right. just move? Why don't mm-hmm. they, why do, why is that neighborhood like that? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they have, they put up their noses, mm-hmm. but housing is a place that was systematically right was segregated yes government sanctioned yes how do we fix this because when we have neighborhoods that are more diverse Mm -hmm. we know that it is also better Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways when we Mm -hmm. have diverse neighborhoods people's interpersonal relationships are better because they understand more about others right so if you could talk to that for a little bit i would really love to hear your insight sure let me drill down a bit on what you said it it is true this is this goes back way way back but not not out of our lifetimes yeah to to periods of time when through government policy uh, people were sectioned off into places through government uh, policies Okay, here we're going to give, and when soldiers came back from the war, we're going to we're going to have this development over here with all these homes. We're going to sell this these homes for pretty much nothing. Okay, yeah, soldiers, except unless you're a black soldier, yes. then you you got to go live in these areas over here. These buildings we built up, and oh by the way, as part of our government policy, we're not going to invest in upkeep of the roads. We're not going to invest in the schools that are there. We're not going to invest, but over here we're going to do that. So. Listen, you know, uh, we'll all go crazy trying to hate every past bad decision. <laughs> right. That's right? true. Right. But I do think that one of the things that we do to move forward is to identify what the issues were. One of the problems I think that we have um, fallen into is that we think we, I'm just, we as a group, we think that one solution fixes all the problems. Listen, these problems are manifest and there are many, right? And that, listen, Housing has its own series of issues to fix. Education has its own series of issues to fix, right? There are a lot of these areas out there. And, and you and I both know, you're getting back to this one, when banks won't loan in areas that areas can't be developed. When banks, right. when they're redlining, when they do these things, it leads to where we are now. So how do we fix it now? Well, first of all, we identify that's what it is. And secondly, we... As we, when in my time in, I love my time in corporate America. It was great. It was great, right? And and I love my time when I was in the army because it showed me that if you have people who specialize in their area and their job is to fix that area, you're going to have better results than if you have one person or one group and they're looking at every area trying to find the one pill that fixes all illnesses. 
there is no one pill that fixes a broken arm, a cold, you know, allergies, and, <laughs> and, and you know, and toe fungus. There's no one pill. They all require, the, think about doctors. We got doctors who specialize in the shoulders, hips, ears, noses, skin, you know, everything, right? The internal, extra, there's all kind of stuff going on. We have to do the same thing here. We've got to focus and say, hey, listen, and this is a question I want us to ask more, because I think there's a lot of virtue signaling, and I despise virtue signaling. There's a lot of uh, people rallying and social justice and running forward. I always try to tell people, stop for a second. Let's just stop. What problem are you trying to solve? Because that's going to be a different problem. For example, the problem we're trying to solve with Catapult Leaders is we're trying to solve the problem of people not getting access to these higher paying uh, more productive jobs, which then lead to, you know, that has a, there's a, there's a, an effect of growing. That's our focus. We're not, we're not trying to fix education. We're not trying to fix housing. But my point is we should focus and say, okay, housing is a problem. How do we fix it? And the answer, frankly, is not always more money at it. And here's why. It's more complete. The pro- said, how do we solve the problem? The problem is not simply money. The problem is what are the rules and regulations in that part of the city? Uh, what are the plans? I know, you know, where I live now, the government has like a 20-year plan. So they're always operating 20 years out. That's what you want. That's good business. You don't want people uh, throwing some money and shut them up, throwing some money and shut them up. You want people saying, okay, here's where we're taking this. Most politicians, if I may be so blunt, mm. are not people who have really accomplished a lot of stuff beyond politics. They've not been out in the world and had to make it happen and say, no, we, this has to work. Because when, you, when you're in a world where you, it has to work, you're more likely to change. You're more likely to say, wait a minute, what problem are we trying to solve? We got to fix that. When you're in the world of McDonald's and you got Burger King and Kentucky Fried Chicken as your competitors, you're going to change. You're going to evolve. So I think part of our problem, our biggest problem is that government is not oriented towards Thing, fixing actual problems and identifying problems. They're, you know, they're more into finger pointing and, and politics is its own you know, thing. So I don't want to get into that. So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, but, but I, I do think this, I think that if you look at <clears throat> many of the problems which plague us, housing is a problem that plagues us, income plagues us, which results in poverty, children in the homes and, and the parents. If you look at the policies, it's all of a creation. If I have a garden and you have a garden, you plant roses, I plant tulips. Let us not be shocked if uh, years later, I have tulips and you have roses. That's what we're planting. We're planting for tulips and roses. Why are we shocked? The things that were planted was, was, um, was for disaster to happen. And it has happened because that's, the, you, you know, you, you're going to get what you, you reap what you sow. You're going to get what you plant. So how do we, we have to plant differently now? We have to see it differently. I also think that you're something that I've acted upon and I've told my own kids this, and my friends will know this is me. And I think it was Frederick Douglass, I think it was Frederick, who said that if they do everything for us and we do nothing for ourselves, we will fail. Mm-hmm. But if they do nothing for us and we do everything for ourselves, we will win. And I believe that. It doesn't have to be that start, but the bottom line is we have got to go forward with focus on here are the problems, here's how they get solved, do not expect them to solve. You can work the political angle and that's fine. But look, go for it. Like, for example, you go to a bank in a, in a community, a diverse community, and it's a business pro- uh, proposition. If you don't address your, your depositors, your banking customers, they're going to leave you. And we're going to let them know that you're not addressing them. We're going to let them know that you're taking the money and only investing it over here or over here. What do you think that bank's going to do? 
that bank is going to say, stop it, time out, time out. Okay, what's going on? <laughs> Because they don't want those people to walk with their money. We've got to be more that way. The truth is, we've got to be more in the other line of, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? And sometimes we have the uncomfortable truths that must be said. And I think that's important to note. That sometimes the truths are uncomfortable. In fact, oftentimes truth is uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. But if you want to get to a better place, you have to be able to embrace the discomfort and move forward. And I think that we have to embrace and, move and hold ourselves to a higher standard you know, when we were uh, younger, I'm not sure it's said as much broadly now as it was back then, you were told you have to be two to three times better. Oh, yeah. You were told that. It wasn't like it was a question. Was a, you, you know, sometimes my kids will see pictures from way back of just people, and they would notice that people who clearly, you know, uh, who clearly were income-wise were not as, uh, as advantaged as other groups, they were always dressed well for themselves. They always presented themselves well. In other words, their standards for themselves were higher than the standards others had for them. Their standards were not, we're going to wear pants sagging on our butts. That's not how we're going to do, right? Right. And I -hmm. I think that was an example when we held ourselves to a higher standard and we said, here's how we're going to operate. And I think that's kind of what Martin Luther King did. His whole thing about how we're going to respond to these idiots was our way is morally superior so we're going to do it and we're going to stick to it. And I thought that was an effect. There are different strategies, but that was one of the strategies that actually was effective. Again, what problem are we trying to solve? And then mm-hmm. wherever that question takes us, then say, what are the solutions to that problem? Because mm-hmm. once, you, once you identify the problem, this is in business, this is in life, this is in relationships. Once you say, here is the problem. You can tell I'm a life and executive coach, right? You can tell. <laughs> but, but, That's but, right. <laughs> exactly. but, once, but, but once you identify the problem, then you ask the question, okay, how do we solve that problem? That problem. And then yep. and, and write down that stuff. And it may be, you know, listen, uh, I'm, I'm going to use an example. Let's say that the problem you and I identify, let's say that we're in the same family and we go to family reunions every, every year or whatever. And the problem that you and I identify is that, man, the meals we're getting for Thanksgiving just are not good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then- so then we'd ask the you and I might say, hey, what problem are we trying to solve? Well, the meals aren't any good. We want to, we want to fix the meals. Okay. We might say, well, how do you fix it? Well, one of the fixes might be Aunt Mabel needs to not make the food anymore. <laughs> My point is sometimes right. the answers are uh, uncomfortable. But if you truly want to fix the problem, focus on the solution to the problem. Don't focus on who's in, because you get caught up in, you know, again, in today's world, you get caught up in color, you get caught up in gender, you get caught up in political party. That's that's never, we know now, if you need any, any we know that will never lead you to a better place. We know if you, if people don't know it at this point, if you don't know it at this point, it's like, mm. I, know, I know this about corporations. Let's say they have the best intentions. They've shown themselves to be incompetent at bringing in diverse people. Mm. Okay. That's not a negative or positive. It is what it is. At some point I said, okay, well, it obviously, because I know companies have been talking this game for 30 something years. And again, they would have fixed the problem by now if they were competent to fix it. So I say, okay, so you guys really can't find people. Good. I understand your incompetence. That's not a negative. You're not competent. Good. We're going to be competent at finding people for you. So that's our right. solution to the problem. And I think if we did it more that way and we were less caught up in, uh, in anger, I think that's never takes us. And just saying you're incompetent and not bringing the solution. That's right. That's right. right? That's right. So, so I, I'm just, I'm, 
I, I, you bring up topics that are that are about which I have certainly an opinion, uh, but I, because my orientation is solve the problem. Right. That's my orientation. Solve the problem. Identify it. Solve it. Move on. That's my and that's what business is all about. Yes. I agree. I think that that I think that that's great. I think that you're right. I think that when we've cast a wide net, because there's so many things that we could be looking at, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's so many places, not just here, but just across the the globe that Mm -hmm. we could look at and we could say that needs to be done. That needs to be. Oh, my God, I can't do any of it. And we just stop and we just say, you know what? There's nothing I can do. Right. But. If we take that one small problem, Mm -hmm. like you said, yours is to match companies with competent, talented Mm -hmm. black people, then we take care of that problem. You know, my thing is to help small businesses and entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. understand that the culture that they cultivate from the beginning Mm -hmm. of inclusion is the culture that they will grow with. So they need to cultivate that culture early they don't need to wait until later until they fall under some kind of uh, uh, a law or or policy or anything start now so that when you grow you're growing with this policy or this culture or this this way of being so that people are now attracted to you and maybe you don't even have to go out there and try to find them they're going to come to you because they're going to be like this is a great place to work. They have, That's they right. do this, they do that. That's they, right. they respect people. They give them what they need to succeed. And that's what it is. So yep. yeah, pick something, <laughs> pick something and go with it. That's it. 100%, no, 100%. I think that the problem facing smaller businesses is not a lack of focus or it's not, uh, you know, money is always a change. You got you to use your money effectively, but those are, mm-hmm. but the problem is stepping back and saying, how do I best meet the needs of customers? And if yes. you just start there, just the problem is customers have needs not met. How do I fix it? Boom. Then that may lead you to maybe it's location is a problem. Maybe it's selection of products is a problem. Maybe it's service providers is a problem. There are a mm-hmm. lot of things that people never ask that core question. And this is what I, I ask it all the time. Okay, what's the problem? My kids will come to me with stuff. They're older now, but they'll come to me with stuff. And I'll say, okay, they'll start talking. I say, wait, 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 I'm sorry. What is the problem we're trying to solve? <laughs> and then it, it focuses them down. So, okay, the problem then is that I, I need uh, to go pick up, uh, you know, groceries or something. And I don't have a ride. Okay, so you need the car. Yes, okay. Because people will talk around and up and down. And so, Stop, so you need the car. Well, here are my keys. Go, right? Problem right. solved. Just cut to the chase. And I think the more, I think... A lot of small small business people are nothing, no different than any other neighbor you might have. They have their biases, they have all that stuff. I just yeah. ask them, I just ask them to say, be customer focused, period. If you just do that, you'll do well. If you just do that, if you don't do that, you got a problem. But what do the customers need? Address their customers. And just do the same thing. And you know, I think that again, to flip it onto customers, many different I, I when we talk to our college applicants. And we talk about their customer, these companies. Okay, what do those companies want? What are they? What are they looking for? And we're very blunt about it. I'm I'm known to be a very uh, uh, direct speaking person when I talk to college students, right? And I say, <laughs> let, me, let me just tell you, here's what they're looking for. Here's what you've got to do. Here's how you win at the next level. Here's how you go in there and you blow them away. Here's how you. I I, I often tell them the best start is a fast start. When you go when you enter that company, 
They don't be in there looking around and, and asking for it, you know, thinking I'm going to wait and they're going to train me. No, your job is to hit the ground like you got your hair is on fire and run around and <laughs> push and push and push because those are the people that move companies forward. That's the end of the day. And if you're one of those people, you're always going to have a home. And so that's what I, I just think we need to, as a people, uh, there are some fundamental ways of thinking we need to be. I think we need to reward those who do what we need to do to fix our problems. And everybody else, step off. That's how I feel. <laughs> how I feel. All right. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that I did not ask you that you would have liked to have been asked and that you would like to answer? Because you can answer it now. I think the notion that people that we have our future in front of us, that we can change the world for the better for us. For me, you know, I know it started with me with my relationship and my kids. That had to be right. I wanted to make, not that it was, everything was sequential. Uh, some things were worked in parallel. But the fact is, we have to identify those handful of things that we're going to put our energies into. And if we individually do that, then collectively we succeed. You know, if I, if like you mentioned earlier, one of your first questions was, uh, how does this impact even smaller businesses? And it's the same. Okay, let's focus. Okay, what do we need to do? Let's and, and put aside your bias. That's why different voices in a room help. Put aside your biases. Yes. Say, okay, what do we need to do? Okay, we need to, okay, I say this, you say this. Okay, let's vet those. Okay, well, here are the top three things we need to do. Okay, again, those are the problems we're trying to solve. How do we solve this problem? How do we solve that problem? I just think in everything, if we did that in everything, it would make people uncomfortable. I mean, Aunt Mabel might not be cooking for a family reunion anymore, but the fact is the family reunions will be better. Uh, there'll be more people coming to the family and not eating you know, beforehand before they come to the family reunion. In other words, the product is better. The service is better. We succeed more if we do it the right way. And I, I just, I think that we've been seduced into thinking that there's some savior somewhere who's going to show up and do it for us. Mm. And I do not agree with that because time has shown me that doesn't work. I think that's right. Okay. That's, that's not because, well, somebody can disagree with me. I said, well, when has it worked? I don't, you know, give me that. Number one. Number two, we're, we have to not fall for the old okie doke where we need another Jackie Robinson or we need another Martin Luther King. In other words, in corporate America, in corporate America we can't simply say we need a person and they're going to fix everything. We need a lot of people doing a lot of things in areas in which they have expertise. If we do that, we all win. If we sit around and wait for the next Jackie Robinson, the problem with the next Jackie Robinson is that he or she has to go, and this happens all the time in corporate America. The companies will bring in somebody at a high level who will stay for a few years and then leave, retire, whatever. And then you lose whatever you thought you had, that presence in the upper management. If you don't have your pipeline full and feeding up into, you know, in the bottom and feeding up into, you're always going to have a situation in which black managers are not seen. They're not there. How do we fix that? We got to say, it's not about finding one person. It's about finding a lot of people who can do good things. And I, I think that, again, I'll get back to my sports analogy. You know, there's no NBA team that wins the championship without having at least two, often three really superior players. They can't just have one person. Oh, he's really good at scoring. Okay, that's mm -hmm. fine. You you might make it into the playoffs, but you're going to lose because you don't have the the breadth of people doing good things. I want everyone. To, I want corporations to think like that. I want us as individuals and our families to think like that. I want you and me. I want everybody who hears this, who watches this, to think, okay, what am I? What problems am I trying to solve? 
And then what am I going to do to solve this problem? And then you know what you do? Get to work. Get to work. Do, do that. And if you do that, good things happen. I, I'm, I love, uh, you know, if you look at our advisory board for Catapult Leaders, you know, people can go to our website and click on team. You'll see our advisory board, all those people. They're there for a reason. They have, these are people who are successful. They have different thoughts. They have different ways they think we can improve and serve our customers well. So I love hearing from them. They, they talk to me all the time and give me their opinion. I'm not afraid of their opinion. And I think that uh, the hair salon person, she needs to not be afraid of the opinion, you know, uh, of the person she brings on. A lot of times what happens too in companies, let's, let's use the hair salon example. They bring in the person who can address different types of hair. Okay. And by the way, one thing the salon people don't understand too is, you know, who else you're missing when you don't address uh, black hair care needs? You're missing a lot of Hispanic women. Yes. Curly hair, curly hair women. Lot, you're missing a lot of Jewish women. Mm-hmm. See, this is, see, this is, these are the hidden, like I said, it's on, it's on above the line and below the line. And so anyway, yeah. but, but when, when you hire that person, this happens a lot in corporations, when she or he comes to you and says, Hey, we need to have this sort of product or that sort of product here to address these hair care needs. You can't then say, well, that's not what we do and put it out because why did you bring them into your salon? Same thing in corporations. When you bring people in who are different, have different thoughts from different parts of the country, the world, it doesn't mean they're going to be right when they make a suggestion to you, but you do need to give their ideas room to flourish and grow because you brought them in because they are different from you. Let's let it flower. Let's make sure we grow a really diverse garden with all types of flowers. And if we do that, that's a beautiful garden. That is a beautiful garden. You are absolutely right. Well, Daryl, it has been a pleasure. And my last question that I love to ask Mm -hmm. all of my guests, uh, because this is diversity dish, I would like to know what is your favorite dish? Any dish that is made by my wife is my favorite dish. (laughs) Because for me, it's, uh, I, I always want to be grateful. And I think that any dish which you can show gratitude that my mother made for me, I mean, my mother's passed away now. I can assure you, any dish she could make for me now, if she were around, would be my favorite dish because it's the person doing it for me. So that's kind of where I come from. I, I'm, I'm a very loyal person and I like loyalty a lot. And, and I like people who never forget and never lose sight of the blessings they have. So I've been very blessed. And as far as uh, dishes and eating, you know, if my wife makes it, then she will tell you if she can make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I will thank her for it because I never want to take it for granted. I love it. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Daryl, for being here. I appreciate all of your insights. And I, I know that the, the audience has certainly gained a lot of information from you and that's going to be helpful going forth. And the question is, what problem are you trying to solve? So that's what we're going to grab from everything that you've said. And hopefully people will go out and ask themselves that every time they're thinking about what it is they're doing. Absolutely. I appreciate you. Listen, I appreciate you. And I want to thank you for giving me time on your podcast. I look forward to engaging with you going forward. You know, I'm better for this experience. You've asked me questions that many people have not been asked. So I get a chance to share. And that's a real, um, that's a real talent you're bringing to the party. I would ask you this question. If I may ask a question. Yes, you may. (laughs) What, What is your magic? My magic? My, my passion, my magic, my superpower. (laughs) I think that's what you're asking. My superpower as I see it is to be able to connect to people. 
to be able to connect and to connect to people and to connect people. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's a quite, that's quite a good mission statement there. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time. And I just wish you the best. And I look forward to speaking to you later. Yes, we will definitely do that. Thank you. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please be sure to subscribe, download, rate, review, and share. It would also mean the world to me if you became a patron over at Patreon. The information is in the show notes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.